Welcome to the Navigating Design and Manufacturing Podcast, powered by AirMed Medical Devices. Listen as host Justin Starbird talks to experts from AirMed about topics relating to design, engineering, manufacturing, assembly, and packaging of medical devices. Air is the Norse goddess of healing and is commonly associated with medical skill. She was regarded as a forge goddess who helped by creating useful and artistic objects instead of weapons. Many who suffered from sickness would climb the mountain on which she resided, and when they returned, they came back healed of all ailments affecting them. Air Med harnesses this spirit of creativity and artistry and their expertise to integrate with the development of devices designed to improve patients' lives. Air Med's diverse experience and knowledge enables the development and manufacturing of advanced medical devices across many markets. You're listening to the Navigating Design and Manufacturing Podcast. Welcome back. Uh, this is Justin Starbert, and today I'm excited to have Rick Curtis, president of AirMed, on with me today. Uh, Rick, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Justin. Good morning. Good morning to you too, sir. So, uh, so good to um, be able to talk about some of these things um, that we've outlined today. Uh, you know, Rick, you know, you've been president of AirMed. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your career and, and your role there at AirMed today? Sure, Justin. So uh, prior to joining AirMed, uh, I spent about 25 years in the medical device and life science industry. Um, my career began and, and really I worked in many different functional areas early in my career. Uh, my training technically, uh, my background is in physics, started my career in engineering spent time as an engineer, quality engineer, uh, and then I began pursuing an advanced uh, MBA degree, and I uh, served in some roles in some different business capacities, both finance, accounting, and then I moved over into what really became kind of my, my love was sales and marketing and mergers and acquisitions. The majority of my career, uh, I did spend working in different types of merger and acquisition roles that led me to running um, divisions of acquired companies and leading integrations of newly purchased businesses in running and then spinning off divisions of companies. So I got to see a lot of different types of situations and really became intimately involved with all of the different nuances in running the businesses, including the supply chain. And it was through kind of that experience that I saw an opportunity to uh, create uh, a company like AirMed. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize it had such a unique uh, start to it. I did not know you were in physics before. That's really interesting. Um, how how did you start AirMed and and you know what was what was that pivotal moment where you were able to say all right I'm going to take the take the jump. So AirMed was actually founded by a comp, by um, Tom Cervanka, who um, his dad was the founder of Philips Plastics, which now is known as Philips Medisize or Mol, part of Molex, back in 1998. Tom 
ran the business initially as a prototyping company, then eventually adding added a tool capability um, in like 2002. In 2004, he started doing a little bit of injection molding, primarily uh, commercial, industrial, and automotive, and um, and then at, began to dabble into medical a little bit in 2010 before he sold the company to um, two private equity investors in 2012 um, that are our current investors along with myself. Um, and um, my interest in coming into AirMed as the president and um, and an investor in the company was really to create a world-class contract medical manufacturing business mm-hmm. with the core, core co- uh, capability around injection molding. Um, you know, we're using that as kind of our our starting point and our hub, and then sure. we're looking to add additional capabilities and capacities out from that that are um, important and very value-added for our, our customers. So speaking of that value add, you know, we've talked a lot about your approach, AirMed's approach um, to the process of prototyping to production. What actually makes that so successful? I think the key to a successful relationship with our customers is for us to really become a part of their team. And it really begins at the front when we're given the opportunity to be part of the development process and uh, to be working shoulder to shoulder with their engineers on design uh, implications of parts, when we're helping to recommend the types of materials that they're gonna be using for um, different purposes or different functions. And then we're also keeping in mind the types of volumes that we've got to manufacture for them uh, in the way that it's got to be produced in order to um, deliver uh, its functionality, but also um, be able to be produced at a price point that's going to be, um, uh, that's going to work for um, that given application in the market. Sure. How do you go about evaluating those opportunities? We take a careful look at the segment of the market that it plays in. And and this is where having some gray hair and having been around for a while, um, not only have I seen a few things over the last 25 years in the different market segments, but I've worked in many of them. Um, But now I also have a network that kind of spans into a a lot of different parts of the market. So... I'm able to do a little bit of background and research through friends, fellow colleagues to understand kind of the nuances of what's happening in those market segments Mm -hmm. um, to help us really understand what the true opportunities are participating in in many different uh, areas. We've worked really hard to um, diversify and to be – um, very diverse in the market segments that we participate in, even within medical and life science. We're in almost every therapeutic area 
with a component, a product, or some type of service. And it's been very intentional and very thoughtful on our end um, so that it makes us a more stable and a stronger company. Absolutely. So when you're, you know, looking at opportunities and speaking with potential clients, you know, the approach that you take is so important, but what makes it so unique or, you know, uh, it makes it such a, a, a critical element for early stage companies? Um, I think the uh, importance with the early stage company is, you know, for, for small companies, for startups, um, every day is, is, is cash out the door to them. Every, every day of development, every day of going through regulatory approvals, so what we really work hard to do is to try and help them define things, to try and help them get to uh, a better solution as early as possible so that we can minimize and ideally um, reduce any type of um, uh, restarts that we have to do on the development process or going back through um, uh, any type of design changes in that process, because if we can get them to market in the in the shortest amount of time, it saves them money and what they've got to spend um, in the cash burn of getting to that point. It also starts the the inflow of cash when they get to uh, production and when they get to being able to sell product. So it really maximizes kind of their overall, you know, cash flow of their business. And, and ultimately it's that cash flow that means the most to their investors. It means they've got a heightened ability of being able to raise additional money. Um, and usually at a higher valuation, um, when they're successful, being able to get products to commercialization quickly, you know, their reputation grows stronger and stronger and um, their value in the marketplace goes up. You mean selling stuff is actually going to help a startup? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's one, the, it's one of those things where I always, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that startups are blinded by their mission. But at the end of the day, I also, you know, think it's really important that they focus on uh, business development and actually selling something to create their own cash flow, not just, not just to raise more money. And it's a thing, it's a term that I use called quality speed to market, because there's got to be a balance of the product working right, the right type of design being built in it so that you can replicate that design when you get to uh, manufacturing. Um, but at the same time, getting to that point as quickly as possible. And it's kind of a balance of those things so that ideally that process is one iteration and not multiple iterations because that's oftentimes what's going to determine not only the success of the company but the success of products as well. Is there a benefit uh, to startups or, or even established companies pulling AirMed in early in the process? You know, there's 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 definitely a benefit. Um, we've got working with 65 different medical device uh, customers, uh, small, medium, and large. 
we've had the benefit of going through many different types of challenges in this development process, and we can bring experience and expertise, not just what resides at AirMed, but also what resides in many of our other partners, whether they be material suppliers or um, automation partners that we'll bring into things, um, that will really help us um, kind of hone in and, and maximize the, the design and, and just the overall plan of what we're doing and how we're going to be doing it for the, for the customer. So the earlier that happens, um, generally the better the outcome that we see in programs. Sure. Well, you mentioned that you've got some gray hairs now from, you know, all of your experience. Can you share a couple of those examples? So we've had a, um, a few different um, examples, actually many different examples, but there's, there's a couple in particular that we kind of see the highest frequency of. In, in one of those examples that I'd use is early stage company comes to us, you know, they anticipate their product at some point to be doing millions in volume, but they know that out the door, they're going to have to get through clinical trials. They're going to have to get through um, early commercialization. And so to be able to invest the capital to scale up to millions really doesn't make sense early on. So we'll take them through kind of a thoughtful process where we'll help them initially scale to get them through their clinical study, to get them to a what we would call a market introduction phase. And we do it in a very um, capital efficient manner so that they're not burning uh, a lot of money during that process until they've got a better idea once we get them to that point, they've got a better idea of really how steep that uptick is going to be in revenue for them and how fast that demand is really going to grow. And then those bigger investments can be made. Um, so we're helping them remove a lot of risk and uncertainty for their investors as well and in uh, putting that additional money to work. Oftentimes, um, we get risk removed like that. We get to that phase with them we'll put some skin in the game as well and we'll take some risk uh, and, and help them with that capital uh, aspect of the investment that's got to be made to scale up in some cases automation or something like that um, that can help pull cost out of the product and really help it be more successful long term and also make it more viable in uh, what I would call um, uh, emerging markets. So, you know, in places outside of the United States and Europe where price sensitivities begin to come into play um, and we pull all the labor out of things and automate things, um, they then become um, great candidates for going into those emerging markets. And now all of a sudden, the overall opportunity for the customer increases substantially as well. Well, if you're putting skin in the game, then there's an opportunity there for you too. Does that, does that happen often? And how do you end up, you know, um, becoming a partner where you're each sharing some risk? Um, we, we do that, uh, I would say, quite often. 
Um, we do it when we kind of get to that point with customers where we can see a substantial amount of the risk is, has kind of been removed. We'll do it in situations where it's markets that we understand very well um, and um, markets that, you know, we're extremely interested in participating in. Yep. Um, when you do that, uh, you know, how long do those those partnerships typically last or those engagements? Is that something that becomes, you know, ongoing recurring revenue for you? Or, you know, what are some of the other benefits, um, not just for you, but then for the client in terms of, you know, that partnership, what does that look like as you kind of, as you progress? Yep. So um, sometimes we know that um, there's a finite period of time in that program or that project. Yep. And we understand that and we'll ramp it. Um, knowing that will also help them ramp it back down in an efficient manner or in some cases, and we've had a few um, where the client has asked us to transition it for them um, to an internal facility or, or something for them. Um, and, and we'll do that. Um, it's, it's just helped expand the relationship with them and they understand the capability and the value that we bring to them as a partner. Um, it's in the long term. it's then um, brought additional programs and projects back to us via that, that customer. Um, so there's, there's the benefit of um, the more value that we're able to create for them. Typically the more repeat business we see in either new programs, additional programs, in some cases, uh, and quite honestly, in most, the programs stay here long term, um, and they go on for many years. And not to say that that's the end all be all, but you know, you bring up a couple of really good points. Those engagements, you know, typically started early on in the process where you were brought in to help be part of the planning for the device, and you know that gave you the the time and the ability to tool, I'm sure, and then it gave them you know some stability and knowing what some exacting costs were related to the production process. What are the consequences, you know, if somebody, uh, you know, engages you late in the game, you know, versus, versus early on in the process, what are some of those, you know, consequences to, consequences, excuse me, to ignoring that approach? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's just gonna be kind of, typically they've made decisions, they've made tooling decisions, they've made, um, they may, they may have made des design uh, decisions. Um, so it's generally gonna increase their time to commercialization um, and sometimes to a functional product if they've gotta go back through additional um, design iterations. Um, so that increases their cash consumption because it stretches that time out to, um, you know, to when they get to uh, commercial production. Um, oftentimes it lowers their product quality um, so that now we're kind of fighting backwards and going after trying to um, redesign quality in or making sure we can inspect quality into certain aspects of design challenges that were initially um, designed into the product. 
and it might not be till a later generation of the product that we're able to address those those issues. Um, you know, it, and it kind of slows them up um, with the longer time to commercialization. Kind of opens the door to competitors for them too. Where all of a sudden now, um, if instead of that customer getting into the market in six to nine months, it's it's twelve to eighteen. Now, now a competitor has more time to kind of jump in and try and either beat them or get into that market space alongside of them as they're kind of making their entryway. So, um, it, it's a challenge. It's a more challenging situation for our customer. You mentioned that there are challenges like you know potentially inviting uh, competitors in by not moving fast enough. What are some of the other challenges that uh, you're you know, customers, you know, find along the way or, or see in their journey that you, you help with? I think the, the challenge of um, design change and kind of planning that and understanding the implications of those design changes are really important. And when we're working closely with our customers, um, we can kind of help them understand all the implications of um, making those design changes, both if they do it and if they don't do it, um, so that they can make a better informed decision about when and how to kind of uh, optimize the timing of, of making those decisions. Um, we also help them kind of uh, do that from the standpoint of managing their, their capital investment and their tooling strategy. Those, those things really kind of go hand in hand around that. So um, the more we're involved as an advisor in helping them make their decisions, I think their decisions are better informed and, and lead to better outcomes for them. I, I, of course, you know, getting um, a partner like you involved early, you know, can make a, a huge difference in the final outcome of a, of a project. What actually makes uh, working with AirMed, you know, so unique? What, what makes you stand out from, you know, your competitors for, our, for potential customers to hear? I think there's kind of two um, unique aspects to working with us. One is, um, there's, there's no one customer that we feel like is the, is the perfect customer for us. Um, if we see uh, an opportunity in a market space that are of, are of interest to us, uh, and, and certainly a customer as well, um, we're, we're able to kind of tailor and customize the way that we um, engage with them so understanding their goals, understanding what they're trying to achieve so that we can best deliver our services in a way that are going to help them meet their goals, that's ultimately kind of the, um, the end goal for us. And, and that's why I've described what the end goal looks like, you know, whether the product stays here, whether the product may even transition um, to our to our customer at some point, um, that to me isn't as important as the customer is commercially successful and um, ha, you know is able to basically go on and um, and then we have other opportunities with them down the road. So 
it's the customization of of the service and really growing with them and providing different things at different type times of the life cycle of the product. So from development into early stage commercialization into maybe um, high volume manufacturing. Various of our competitors are good at different times of that life cycle. Very few of them really do a great job all the way through it. And that's one of the things that we've prided ourselves and really worked hard is to be a great partner for our customers all the way through the, the commercial life cycle of a product. The other thing that we, that we do um, that's a bit different and unique is we're also open-minded to taking on additional, additional capabilities. So if something really critical comes up in the manufacturing process, that we may not even have the capability in-house at the time when it's identified that it's needed. Um, we'll either acquire that capability or we'll, we'll figure out a way of bringing it um, in-house or gaining access to it to make sure that um, the product is supported the right way. And, um, and so really what we're trying to do is to simplify the manufacturing for our customers so that they're not coordinating multiple different manufacturing partners. So it kind of does two things for them. One is it reduces um, the amount of time and energy that they've got to um, work with various manufacturing partners. It also reduces when manufacturing is occurring um, the amount of inventory and what we call uh, WIP uh, or work in process that's working its way through the supply chain. So you've got four or five partners where the product is making a stop at each one and you've got transportation costs in between each step in the process. Um, the, the cost of the product is going to be substantially higher than if everything can be done under one roof with a single partner that can maximize the time frame, schedule and coordinate all that so it's happening efficiently. So in that situation with those early stage companies, we're helping them to really um, uh, optimize their balance sheet as well and not um, take up a lot of cash for inventory and, and other things that aren't necessarily um, needed to be successful. Absolutely, and reducing risk and doing a whole host of other you know, jobs that may not be their core competency, right? So that's um, always important. That way it gets them focused on what's the most important tasks at hand to help, back to your point earlier, you know, bring in uh, cash flow for them to be valued higher and potentially seek a um, uh, higher return. So absolutely. It sounds, you know, like we need to have several of those uh, folks that you've worked with on as guests of our new podcast. So it's been really great uh, having you on this morning and, you know, learning more about AirMed's process and what makes you so unique to the market. So Rick, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Navigating Design and Manufacturing with host Justin Starker. To listen to more episodes of this podcast, go to airmed-devices.com. That's airmed-devices.com. 
Be sure to share on LinkedIn and Twitter to help folks just like you learn more about the world of design and manufacturing. On behalf of the team at AirMed, Goddess Air, and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening.